And today we're going to talk about the Father's love and, and, and finding a full life in the Father's love. So it's a message for men, but women, hey, guess what? You're daughters of a father, a father in heaven. So you're, this message is just as relevant to you as it is to us men. But I have a real heart for, for men and seeing men um, free in the house of God and free in everything that God has called them to do. And, and I became a dad eight years ago. And, um, and that was quite an overwhelming moment. You know, this is, you know, you go through the, well, when I say you, I'm talking about my wife goes through nine months of labor, of, um, of, of having a baby grow inside her. And then, um, and then at the end, the doctor hands you this baby, this new human, and pretty much just says, good luck with that. Like, <laughs> you know, it's yours. You can take it home, put it in the car and take it home. You, you, and we're given this responsibility of being a dad, of, of, of looking after this new human. And, you know, Kirill and I often joke that we, we can't put a flat pack Ikea kit together like for a simple kid, for a simple cabinet. And that comes with instructions. But this new human doesn't come with instructions. And so, um, you know, if you're in a church, you're fortunate enough to have people around you who can sort of guide you and give you some advice and some help. And, um, and sometimes your parents will give you advice, whether that's good advice or bad advice, but this stuff is sort of passed along. But dads, like mums, are multitaskers. You know, our roles can be big roles. You know, we're a provider. We have to provide for our family, put a roof over their head and food on the table and clothes on their back. So we've got high-level things like that where we're called as men, as fathers, to be protectors of our family, you know, to use our strength to protect them from harm. But we're also called to do other things that may not fit our build, like being a hairdresser. I've got two girls and, you know, it's, it's hard, like getting knots, brushing a girl's hair and getting knots out of her, it's akin to diffusing a bomb. If you do it wrong, it's all over. It really is all over. It's dangerous. It's a dangerous job. As a father, you know, we're, we're also called to be teachers. My eight-year-old is in year two and I'm getting homework now. And when I say I'm getting homework, I'm also saying Kiralee's getting homework as well. Um, but you all of a sudden, we're revisiting maths and English and speech writing and ethics and sociology and geography and all this stuff that they do there. So, so part of our lives is to become a teacher and we're to be a role model as well, which um, as you start to get older, you realise that can be a good thing and it can be a bad thing because your kids can mirror all the great things that you do, but they can also mirror all the bad things that you do as well. You know, as a father, you know, you're sometimes a comedian. You know, there's plenty of dad jokes. I love hearts and his dad jokes. It's awesome. I'm more of a toilet humor sort of guy as opposed to a dad joke stuff, much to my, much to my wife's distress. You know, sometimes we're the good cop, sometimes we're the bad cop with our kids, but we play all these roles. And with the pressure that comes with those roles, it can be sometimes hard to navigate that pressure to see a way through because we can put a whole lot of expectations on ourselves and what the world puts on us um, that can sometimes weigh us down and they can sometimes make the life um, come out of us. Like it's, it, it can sometimes be a heavy load to, to build. So I just want to salute all the, all the husbands in this place, all the dads, all the people who are sticking it out in tough times. You know, we salute you because 
um, it's not easy. And the other day I went to um, little Mabel, she's four years old. <coughs> I went to her, um, her Father's Day breakfast at her kindy. And you know what I was encouraged about is the amount of dads that turned up to that. I turned up and the place was full of dads and I thought, this is so good. Because those little four-year-olds, they didn't care what sort of suit their dads were wearing. Those kids didn't care about what sort of watch they had or what sort of car they drove to the kindy. They didn't care about the job that their dads were going to that day and they didn't give a rip of how much money they had in their account. All those kids cared about was that the dads were there. You know, we're there and we're um, hammering in nails into, into pieces of wood. You know, we're watering the plants, we're painting and we're doing all that stuff and it, and it was about just being present. Yeah, that's what the kids loved. The kids loved being present. And so don't underestimate the power of being present. You know, you may go, oh, but I don't have a good enough job or, you know, I don't have a house in Sydney. I don't have a nice car, all that sort of stuff. But all your kids care about is you being present. And so, so that's important. That's important. So being present is one of those things. And today I want to bring a message about finding life in the Father's love. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm on the tail end of a, of a cold. So if I've got to clear my throat a few times, that's... Um, I'll try not to do it into the mic and I'll try not to spray it onto the front row. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you get a cough this week, it wasn't me. Yeah, great. So finding a message of life. In John 10, 10, Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. It's one of my favorite verses uh, for men, but also for, for women as well. It's, it's we find our life in him and we have it to the full. And so amidst the pressures of work, we can sometimes disengage from life. We can find ourselves in routine. And for me, I, I got saved like 20 years ago. And so um, I know I only look like I'm 20, but um, I, got to, I, got, I got saved when I was 18. And, and in that time, um, I got into a routine of going to, going to work and, um, and, and coming home and saving for a house and trying to be a good Christian and just doing the right thing. And, and about four years ago, I got to a point where I go, I just feel a bit bored. Like, surely, surely there's more than just this routine. And I started to really believe, and I, and, and I was blessed. Like, I'm blessed with a great family. I'm blessed with great kids. It's not that I wasn't grateful for those things, but there was that feeling that there must be more than what we're doing right now. And I really felt like, you know, there was this pressure as a Christian man that your objective is just to be a nice guy. Don't rock the boat, just be a nice guy. Don't have an opinion, just get along with everyone. And that, and that, was, and that was what it was to be a Christian guy. And like I said, there was just that feeling of dissatisfaction. There's got to be more than that. And four years ago, we had a family trip over to, uh, we're fortunate enough to have a, a family trip with Kiralee and her extended family over to, um, it had been a dream of ours to have a white Christmas in America. And so we, we spent some time, um, we spent some time over there in New York and, um, and it was just an amazing time. We had some time in Vermont and then we took the kids to Disney World and we came back after five weeks and went, man, that was the most amazing holiday. But still with inside me, there was like this, this feeling of, this sort of feeling of dissatisfaction. And I started to really pray and say, God, like, can you just intervene here? Like, reveal to me, like, what is, what am I missing here? 
And so when I got back, literally the day I got back, I caught up with a mate of mine and he had just got back. Sorry, he hadn't got, just got back, but he was telling me about a retreat that he did over in Colorado. Um, some of you may be familiar with the book called Wild at Heart, which is a, a, a book written by John Eldridge. It's a cracking book. I read it was on 18. I went, this is crap. I don't, I'm not sure what <laughs> this is all about. Sorry, I said a bad word. But, <laughs> but then I read it again when I was in my mid-30s and I went, wow, this thing is amazing. This is the most incredible book. And anyway, my mate had been over to the, um, to the retreat over in Colorado and he came back and he said it was the most life-changing experience I'd never had. And when he told me that, there was something within me. I don't hear the audible voice of God, but there was an unction within me that said, I've got to go to that. And I looked it up and it was in nine days' time back in Colorado. And I'd just got back. <laughs> I'd just been away. And I said to Kiralee, I just, I really feel like I should go. She said, you've got to go. And so I booked the ticket the next day and went, the next week I was, I was in Colorado going to this retreat. And, you know, when I first got there, um, John lays down a couple of rules for this retreat. And the first thing is, he said, turn your phone off. No phones, four days. The world's going to keep spinning, but you've got to turn it off. And I work, um, I work in the property industry. <laughs> My phone rings like 50 times a day. I get so many emails. I get messages. You know, it's my lifeline. And does anyone else here get anxious when you turn your phone off for a short period of time? I see, if you're all honest, you're all put your hands up because you don't know what's going on in Instagram and Facebook and all that stuff, all those pressures. So I go over there and I go, wow, okay, I'm going to turn my phone off. And so to me, this is a big deal and I start getting anxious about it. And, and John sort of said, you know, you need to turn your phones off. And if you're anxious about that, you need to know under why. You need to ask the question, why are you anxious about that? And often it's because we get alone with our thoughts. Because, you know, you've got distractions all the time. You know, you've got phones, you've got social media, you got feel like you're just doing something all the time. Like, I'm busy, I'm productive, I'm doing stuff. But you turn it off and then you're just left with your own thoughts. And you're left with your own approach to God. And... Um, and he was saying that some people feel anxious when you turn your phones off because you're actually confused about how God feels about you. So when you turn your phone off, you're anxious. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm going to feel like how, God, how disappointed God is with me. Like I'm going to feel like God's angry at me or I've done something wrong or I'm not achieving in life. But then he encourages us out of this verse in Romans 2.4. It says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? It says, can't you see that the kindness intended to turn you from your sin? How good is that? His kindness leads us to repentance. Now, repentance is such a like negative word, but think about it. His kindness leads us to change. His kindness leads us to make a change. And so I turn my phone off at this time and I go, okay, great. Um, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to realize that this is going to be good for me. This is going to be good for my relationship with God. The next thing he says, he said, check your Christian ego in at the door, your false self. So this idea that, um, that men, and I'm sure women don't do it, but men do it all the time, is we put on a false self. We put on this face that I've got it all together. Everything's fine. How are you? I'm good, brother. How are you? Bless you, Jesus. Hallelujah. All this stuff. Like, really? Do people really talk like that? And he said, I don't want any of that. He said, I don't want any of your Christian talk. I don't want any of your praise God, hallelujahs. 
I want you just to be yourself. And I was like, this is so refreshing. How good is this? Like this guy is up the front saying, just be yourself. God created you uniquely, just be yourself. And then there was this verse that says, no man for any considerable period of time can wear one face to himself and another to the multitudes without finally getting bewildered as to which one might be true. If we're pretending for so long to be something that we're not, we can get confused about who are we really. And, and, and that's, that's the point where I was getting to. I was like, I just feel like I'm just trying to be this nice guy all the time. Like I'm, you know, I just want to answer the right thing and not create any conflict. I don't want to have an opinion on anything. And I'm like, that's not what God created us to do. Like God created us to be unique. We're created in His image. He's a strong and powerful and, you know, amazing God. He's a loving and kind. He's a courageous God. And we're created in His image. And so this was so refreshing to me to hear this. I was like, actually, God's, God's there to set us free. And so there's, surely there's more, that idea that there is more. And I'm talking about men here, but women, you, you could probably relate to some of these things that when men are searching for life, we can search for it in a couple of very distinct areas. The first area is in recreation. You know, for some guys, it's sports. They become sports fanatics. They become obsessed with it. Some people, it might be becoming fit and healthy and, you know, the gym might be it. For others, it might be academics, might just be constantly studying, trying to get better. You might be into computers, whatever, whatever that is, travel. It's a, it's a recreation thing that we seek life in. The second place that men can go to is, I'm going to call it the bedroom. We're talking about our sexual desires and those things. Now, this is a gift from God. It's created by God. It's supposed to be a great thing for us. But out of the right context, it can be so destructive. It can destroy your life and it can destroy the lives of others around you. In Proverbs 5.18, it says, may, the fount- may your fountain be blessed and that you would rejoice in the wife of your youth. God is into sexuality in the right context. And so as, as men, we need to celebrate that and we need to be okay with that in the right context. The third area that we go to is the boardroom or our job or our vocation. You know, we're finding our, our purpose or our life in what we do as a job, as our earning capacities. And again, it's a really biblical thing. In Genesis, God says, so God created mankind in his own image In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God desires for us to rule and to have dominion. He he wants us to be productive in our jobs. It's a God-given thing. But again, it's not to take away from allowing God into those areas. And the fourth area that men go to is our, is, is our finances, is our money, our assets, our houses, our investments. And we measure our life by those things. And if you would imagine, I was going to ask for a whiteboard, but it's all right. But if you can imagine a square and you can imagine in each of these corners are these things. So you've got recreation, you've got the bedroom, you've got the boardroom, and you've got your finances. And so they're in the corners of life. And the, the, the distinguishing thing I want to say 
is that none of these areas, none of these areas in the corner were designed to be a source of life. They are merely an expression of life. They're not a source. You don't find your life in any of those areas. They're an expression of our lives. So if we start to search for life in these areas, we can get into trouble. You know, age changes us. When I was 20, I could do anything. You know, I was fit, I played sport, I played, you know, high level, first grade baseball at a state level, I surfed, I snowboarded, I traveled the world, I studied multiple degrees, I did these things, I had big dreams, big plans, and I was like, you know, I can conquer the world. I was 20, man, I can do anything. And then I turned 30, and my recreation pursuits came right down, I wasn't 20 anymore. And I started to feel pressure because I had a mortgage and I had expectations with work and I started to compare myself to where others were at to where I was at. And who knows that when we start to compare ourselves with other people, we start to feel isolated and we start to feel alone. I'm now just about to turn 40, I'm 39, I'm not there yet, I'm still in my 30s comfortably. <laughs> but now as I'm 40, you start to feel this little sense of disillusionment, this, this feeling of, you know, some people call it a midlife crisis. They go out and get a sports car. I went and bought a motorbike. <laughs> there are worse mid, midlife crises you can have than getting a motorbike. So that's, that's it. But um, a motorbike was, was for me like an, an expression of that, but, it, but that realising that um, it's not all about your successes. It's not about the work and, and those things. And, and as 40, I'm not into recreation. I can't do what I was doing when I was 20. As much as I have my 20-year-old mates who I used to play baseball with, there was this one guy, he rang me every year for 20 years saying, man, we've got to get the team back together. We've got to get the team back together. We're going into this next season. He said, you know, we can relive the glory days. You know, we were undefeated. You know, can you, can you see it? Can you picture it? I'm like, mate, I've got a job, I've got a mortgage, I've got two kids. I don't have time to be playing every weekend and training twice a week. So all of a sudden, like, my perspective changed when I was, when I was well, now that I'm 40, I'm not pursuing life in that area. But what does Jesus say about finding life? In the Bible, there's four accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in John... John walked with Jesus, he lived with Jesus. And they were walking along and they came to a scene which, which would have been familiar with them at the time is they came across a sheep pen and there were sheep and there were shepherds. And Jesus said, you know, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. He says, I am the good shepherd and the sheep hear my voice. And he starts saying that, you know, he wants us to live a full life. Jesus wants you to have a full, purposeful and productive life. He really, he's into that, but he doesn't want you to pursue these things exclusive to him. He wants to be in the center as you pursue the corners of life, their expressions of life. Like this is the center. He's in the center. So mate, it doesn't matter what stage of life you are. Like I look around here and there's some young guys and there's some guys in their 60s and you know, there's a real spread of guys. It doesn't matter what stage of life that you're in. Jesus is still speaking to us to say he's come to give us life. And it doesn't matter what decisions that you've made, 
They may have been some great decisions and they may have been some really dumb decisions in your time. It doesn't matter. Jesus has come to give us life. And so what does a full life look like? In John 17, 3, Jesus prays for his disciples and he says what a full life is. And this is it. Now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's what a full life is. A full life is knowing God and knowing Jesus and being known by Him. Life is knowing Him and knowing and being known by Him. It's a relationship. It's a relationship. He wants to be part of all these areas. In that same verse, John 10, 10, I started at the second part of that verse, but there's another part which is just before it where Jesus gives a warning. He says, the thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. You have an opposition that is perpetually pursuing you. He wants to take you down. And many a good man has, many a good man has been taken down and taken down from a whole bunch of different reasons. And so Jesus comes and he wants to reveal the lie of the devil. This is how the devil wants to steal from you. The devil is lying to you to say that you will find life in what you do and what you have. That's a lie. And a lot of people, when they get, particularly men, when they start to get to mid-age and they start to get to later in their life, they start to go, this is a lie. Like, if I can't find life in the corners, where am I going to find it? You find it in the middle. You find it in allowing Jesus into the center. Listen to Paul in Philippians In Philippians 4.12, this is such a beautiful verse. It says, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living with plenty or in want, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What a beautiful verse. I've learned the secret to be content. Because if your life source is your job, what are you going to do if you lose your job? If your life source is in your bank account and your investments, what are you going to do if we have another financial crisis? What are you going to do if, you know, the property market tanks? What are you going to do in those situations? If that is your source of life, you're in risky territory. God doesn't want us to live in that place. We want to be like Paul where we're, we're comfortable and open to whatever happens. We can still have life despite our circumstances. And I think that's such a great thing. Like Paul, he went through a whole lot of stuff, yet he had such a beautiful attitude, you know, because his confidence was in God. It was in Him. And as we sort of come to an end, there's, I just want to finish on one story which is really about um, a young man who was living life in the corners. And it's one of the most well-known parables in the Bible. It's a parable um, of the prodigal prodigal son. Is everyone familiar with that story? It's a long slab of scripture and I'm not going to read it out, but I'm going to paraphrase for you. Young man goes to his dad and he says, give me everything that's due to me. I want all my money and I want to take it because I want to go and live life on my own. And his father said, fine, here you go. 
you can take it. And we read about this young man taking everything that he had, everything that he felt he was entitled for. And he left and he went off and he squandered it on parties and prostitutes and food and living the high life. He did it all and then a famine hit the land and it all ended. And he started to think, mate, I've made a mistake. I've pursued something that I thought was going to bring me life, but actually now I'm in a very bad predicament. And he rehearses this story of going back to his father and saying, I've made a mistake and I'm not even worthy to be your son anymore. And I think sometimes we rehearse that, that whole feeling going, I, just, I feel like I want to go back to God, but I feel like I've made so many dumb decisions that I'm not worthy to go back to Him. But the really interesting thing to read when you get to the end of this parable is the young man does go back and, he, and, he, and he's rehearsed his speech and he starts to say it all to his father. He starts to say, look, you know, I've made all these mistakes. But, but when he was still a long way off, it says that his father ran to him. He ran to him and his dad had every right to say to him, son, I told you so. You know, the, the father had every right to leverage guilt, to make him feel bad, to make him feel horrible, to make him go, I told you so. I don't know about your Bible, but my Bible makes no mention of that. The father makes no mention of his decision to leave. All his father does is say, I'm so glad you're back. I'm so glad you're back. And you're welcome back in this place. And I think, you know, for men particularly, and again, women, you can take this on, but I'm, ta I'm talking to men particularly, that if you're at that point where you go, I'm, I feel like, I'm a long way away, but I just want to be back. But I'm not up for any guilt trips. God's not up for any guilt trips either. Not once did Jesus ever leverage guilt to bring people to Himself. So we realise He loves us as we are. You just come as you are. It's the most freeing grace message that you'll ever hear.